The Art of Creative Wellness, brought to you by the New Zealand Broadcasting School. Welcome to the third episode of The Art of Creative Wellness. I'm Antoinette Spicer. In this series of five podcasts, I explore art initiatives and programs in Aotearoa, which are improving New Zealanders' health and well-being. In today's episode, we will check out accessible performances, from touch tours to relaxed shows. In the last five years, New Zealand has seen an increase in venues offering a raft of performance options to help the disabled community take part in the arts. Before we get started, there are a few things you need to know. We will be talking about audio description and touch tours. An audio described performance is a show which is narrated to a disabled patron through a headset, whereas touch tours help blind or partially sighted theatregoers to better understand shows and their layout by touching the set. Robin Hunt is a long-time disability activist. She is a writer and has worked in the media, as well as with Arts Access Aotearoa. See, up until the 50s, disabled people didn't go out, generally speaking. I mean, some might have, but I think it was accepted that if you couldn't see or hear or access the performance, then you shouldn't be there. So I think that that's kind of, things have changed a bit, and and disabled people have become more demanding. And I think part of the reason is that ableism is very rife in our world, and most people still don't know what it means but it, it is very common. And also, we didn't have the means of making performances accessible in the same way that we do now. We didn't have the technology, but certainly the will was lacking as well. Robin was born with cataracts and had eye operations when she was two years old. She lives with low vision. I've always taken part in the arts. In fact, I've always loved theatre. I remember going to my first children's theatre production at about four. <laughs> A long time ago, but um, and I remember going backstage because my family knew somebody who was involved in the children's theatre in those days, and being able to see the costumes and talk to the actors, and that for me was magic. And I think that sort of those touch tours, and coupled with audio description, are very magical and wonderful. I've always listened to music, and I've always—I suppose—I've always really participated in the arts, even if it's only as a as a as an audience member. Because of audio description, I've also started to enjoy opera. And certainly audio description and touch tours have deepened my enjoyment of theatre and so on. And training audio describers made me realise what an art or in itself audio description can be. During the 1980s, Robin became increasingly politicised about the rights of disabled people. Since you began advocating for accessibility, um, you know, in the 19 sort of 80s. Do you believe there's been quite a significant societal attitude shift? Yes and no. I'd say in terms of physical access, we used to be further ahead in the in the general scheme of things if you're comparing us to other countries. We used to be further ahead in terms of accessibility than we are now. I think we've slipped behind a lot in terms of access to the built environment and I think that's quite shameful. Robin says despite lagging behind other countries in some areas, New Zealand has improved its accessibility by adopting audio description and captioning, which were not available back in the 80s. 
Robin has worked for the Human Rights Commission, State Services Commission and WorkBridge. She also co-chaired the group that developed the first disability strategy. Do you believe that there, there should be better policy enforced in New Zealand as well? So Absolutely. I think we need, we need more policy, we need more standards, we need a lot more um, enforcement of standards, we need a lot more teaching um, in various design schools about universal design and accessibility so that it becomes just the way things happen, that it's not people don't even think about it. Accessibility should not be an extra add-on. It should be, oh, well, this is just the way we do things because everybody needs to be part of this, whatever it is, whether it's a building or an environment or a production or a whatever. We need a lot more policy, a lot more legislation, a lot more... Um, understanding of what accessibility means. She says while most local government have accessibility policies in place, the implementation of these policies need to be further developed and improved. But I think disability is seen as a bit of a nuisance add-on by a lot of people. Until disability touches their lives, um, a lot of people just don't see it as important, despite the fact that 24% of New Zealanders are disabled. Part of that's due to the fact that a lot of the disabled people are older people who tend to be invisible and often neglected in terms of their interests, um, despite what people think about baby boomers and the the general sort of attitude. Um, There are huge barriers, and I think that... um, it's ableism. You know, people just don't think. They never have had to. And um, also, disability is very nuanced. It's very varied. So the needs of somebody who's blind might be difficult, different from the needs of someone who uses a wheelchair, for example, to put a, a more, you know, um, an obvious difference. Robin hopes non-disabled people will support an Accessibility Act. One ally is Pascal Pronto. In the last five years, she's worked with the Royal New Zealand Ballet to include touch tours, relaxed performances, audio-described performances, workshops in schools, and much more. Yes, so when I came on board, uh, which is six years ago, as the education manager, uh, which was in 2014, um, the only thing that the Royal New Zealand Ballet uh, were doing is that they offer a companion seat to um, disabled patron, but it was not very visible on their website. And uh, as a result, most people didn't know about it. So um, I'm very proud that five years later, um, we're doing quite a big range and we approach all of these projects on the point of view of audience development. In 2017, the Royal New Zealand Ballet implemented an official accessibility policy. Pascal teamed up with Audio Description Aotearoa to offer the first audio-described ballet show in the Southern Hemisphere. In 2017, Romeo and Juliet. In 2018, we did um, The Nutcracker. 2019, we did a fantastic tour of Insul and Gretel. And this year we're doing Sleeping Beauty. So that will be our fourth consecutive year that we're offering the New Zealand population um, 
in four, the four main centres of New Zealand. So we can't do it everywhere, but um, but we're offering it in Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch and Dunedin. And we do a total of seven audio description touch tour and performances per year as part of our family production. That means venues take blind or partially sighted theatre goers on a touch tour before the show. We also do relaxed performance and we started doing these in collaboration with the Vodafone Event Centre in Manukau. And we started these in 2017 as well. And every year we offer one or two um, performance for children and adults that are, have sensory overload, that going to a standard performance will be too much for them. So we kind of make sure that the light is dim, not totally dark, and we remove some of the extra sound. Loud, we make the music more, um, not too loud, not too soft, accessible for them. And they can go in and out uh, as they please during the performance and make involuntary sound. Since 2017, the Royal New Zealand Ballet has fully subsidised transport for low decile schools so they can attend performances, enabling over 2,000 students to access shows every year. So um, that's really important because some kids and some never been on the bus before, let alone going to a theatre to see a ballet show. So that's also quite exceptional. So we do that every year and we're offering in the three main centres of New Zealand, which is Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. Since 2015, the company also runs workshops for school children. Hi, I'm Chloe. Hi, I'm Lauren. Um, we're both dance educators with Royal New Zealand Ballet and we're here today at Copley College um, doing some workshops for the students. This we probably visit at least 100 schools a year. Um, we travel all around the country, so when we go on our tutus on tour, which starts for us on Sunday, uh, we're going to be going to, I think, combined about 30 schools. Yeah. It's a hit with students. What I liked most about today was, you know, getting out of my comfort zone because I'm not a ballet dancer <laughs> and she was really nice with the teaching and like even if you weren't a ballet dancer she would help you and treat you like you were a professional. Wainui school principal Gillian Bray agrees. Honestly the children love the chance to um, be involved in dance, music, the arts. I can't say enough about having experts and professionals to come in and do what we obviously as teachers can't. And they feel very, very proud of themselves. You can see that in their final performance dance at the end and their feedback. At the age of three, Pascal's son was diagnosed with autism. Her second child also has nystagmus, eye shaking in her right eye. If people ask me why why is it so why was it so important for you to do all this accessibility when I came to the ballet five years ago? When you think that there's 1.1 million people in New Zealand that live with a disability, which is like sixth a sixth of the population of New Zealand, isn't it worthwhile to just get rid of barriers so that these people can access arts like everybody else. So as a mother, I lived 24 seven with children have some disability. They're not like all the other kids. And I was thinking, I want my children to have access to what all the other children have access to. So I think that my perspective of disability 
and the way I look at the world has been tainted through the lens of my own experience as a mum, as a mother. But the fact that I am the education manager of the Royal New Zealand Ballet is fantastic because I was able to bring that into my role. Pascal says the feedback from the community has been overwhelming. I get letters that bring tears to my eyes and I get these regularly. There was a lady that said that she it was the first time her and her daughter in Auckland went to a ballet and um, in her early 20s and she lost her vision gradually as she got older. So she used to take, take ballet lessons when she was little and she said that the highlights of last year was to go to see her a ballet with her mum. They haven't been able to do that for years since she lost her vision. Um, we just, yeah, we, you know what? We touch his life. Through my work and the work of my colleagues, we are touching lives of these people and open their eyes that, um, yes, think there are some things available for them and um, they are welcome. Pascal believes New Zealand is about 10 years behind in accessibility. Our small population and limited resources, such as funding and infrastructure, are contributing factors. However, she's optimistic for the future. Now we're off to the theatre. Rachel Sears is the Education Manager at the Court Theatre in Christchurch. Since 2016, she has worked with several community organisations to offer relaxed performances. I stopped by to find out more. So this is what we call the Props Corridor. It's just a massive corridor full of everything you can imagine. So there is just so much stuff here. And actually in an accessibility story that the art gallery were doing some audio described work around paintings. So visual art, audio describing a visual art for the blind community. And we lent them a few props because some of the art you can't touch, but there might be some textures or items that you really want to touch. So the prop store is often good for that kind of stuff. So we might not have something that's um, actually what it is, but we might have something that feels right or is the right size and weight and that kind of thing. So this is cool. This is um, a windmill that in Elling was broken every single night. No way. So, um, so every night there were there's two. There's this one that stayed that was like presented at the beginning and then there's another one somewhere that's probably been thrown away now that was broke a replica that was broken into multiple pieces so that when it was dropped it smashed but in a way that it could be put back together every night that's so cool and what is that made out of it looks like a really sort of i think it's made out of um, matchstick wow cool this place is like a treasure trove (laughs) it is it is such a treasure trove there's like ridiculous things in here i mean i'll show you my one other favorite thing is this cricket bat because it looks like a cricket bat would you agree yes is it not? But if you touch it, you haven't got your hands, then it, and Ooh. squeeze it, it's actually soft because it was used in one man, two governors to hit someone over the head. Oh my goodness. But it really does look like a hard cricket bat. Okay. It looks like you're hurting someone. So it might be a bit noisy in here. We're going into our workshop where we build all the sets. <gasps> How exciting. Um, so there's lots of flats and doors and things leaning up against the walls. Wow, look at the size of those paintings. I know, it's, I mean, just the size of the room is insane. Um, we can't go all the way in because it's a big space, but um, this is where we build everything that goes on the stage. Let's go up and go on the stage. Wow, where the magic happens. Where the magic happens. Come on through. Thank you. How many shows do you think have taken place on the stage? Oh my gosh, I can't answer that kind of question. <laughs> I have no idea, so many. So we've been here since the earthquake, so... And I mean, 
we only probably have, we have shows, mainly six shows a week, 30 weeks of the year, so a lot of shows have been performed here. This is a decent sized audience. Yes, yes it is. Wow. So there's 390 seats here. And for a relaxed performance, we would, we, we've never actually had 200, I don't think, but we would never sell more than 200. So it just means you can move around as much as you like during the show and choose where you sit. And some people really want to sit in the front, some people really want to sit at the back, and that's fine. Can you explain um, what a relaxed performance is? Yeah, sure. So a relaxed performance is a performance that is relaxed, essentially. So it's geared to um, cater to the needs of someone who perhaps has sensory impairments or is going to struggle in a crowded, noisy, pressurised, formal environment. So it's about taking out all those barriers that would make a theatre inaccessible to someone who would struggle with those kind of um, situations. So that means that we um, take down the sound volume um, maybe take out some of the brightness of light and also moments of darkness and um, we also do things around seating so we won't pack the theatre full of people so there's space to move around you can sit anywhere you like you can come and go during the performance I'm just trying to paint um, I guess myself a picture here what what is your sort of typical audience what does it what does your audience for relaxed shows sort of typically look like mainly families Sometimes the odd person wearing a set of noise-cancelling headphones scattered across the seating bank. So usually there'll be people in the front row who are really keen to be at the front. It's also where our wheelchair seats are. Um, and then there'll always be some people who really want to sit in the back. What sort of feedback have you received from, I guess, people in the community who have now been enabled to come and watch these performances? I think the best moment that I've experienced at a relaxed performance in the show if I can tell you a story. Yes, please do. I um, love stories. <laughs> the relaxed show is of Snow White by Brendan Bennett. The plot consists of the main characters pretending to be sick, leaving the ushers to put on the show with the help of the audience. One of the main characters is an usher pretending to be an audience member called Philip. And he's really nervous throughout the whole show. He doesn't speak at all. He just plays the piano. And then at the end, they need him to play the prince. They, they need Philip, who's this character who's been on stage the whole time but hasn't said a word, to play the prince. And I wrote in the social story that Philip will need some encouragement to play the prince at the end. And all the other shows that we had, the audience gave him a big cheer and helped him up. But this was a much smaller audience for the relaxed performance than any of the other shows in the season. But the roof practically went off the theatre when they needed to encourage Philip to kind of be bold and, and be brave and play the prince even though he didn't really want to speak in front of other people it was just incredible I started crying in the audience because everyone in the auditorium was just shouting Philip you can do it we believe in you Philip we believe in you just pretend we're all wearing our underwear was shouted out from the back seat um, and it was just this awesome moment of kind of remembering that this me these messages that are often in these shows um are incredibly meaningful to this community and are really worth being told in this community. So although it's we love getting feedback from people after the show, hearing that feedback during the show is almost the best kind of feedback that we could possibly get. The Court Theatre received an award from Arts Access Aotearoa for its commitment to developing new audiences and making theatre accessible. <laughs> I wanted to find out how Access is being supported nationally, so I spoke to Arts Access Aotearoa Inclusion and Participation Advisor Stace Robertson. 
He works with art venues, organisations and festivals, supporting them to become more accessible and inclusive for disabled people. Art should be accessible because art is for everyone. Art is a huge part of how society connects and how our cultural narratives shift and develop. And um, disabled people are a part of culture and a part of society. So we should have the same equity of access to the arts as anyone else does. And access to arts and culture, it's a human right. And our stories and history and culture need to be shared and reflected too. And what is the greatest challenge that you face in your role? A couple of the challenges in my role are the built environment. A lot of our theatres and other arts venues are historic buildings which weren't built with accessibility in mind when they were originally designed. So for arts organisations wanting to be more accessible now, they're constantly having to find workarounds, particularly with backstage areas or back-of-house areas where they might be working with disabled artists or they might... Um, be wanting to employ disabled staff but those um, spaces are not conducive to doing that easily. And one of the other challenges is um, supporting the entirety of an arts organisation uh, within their structure to become accessible. Often accessibility is a passion project for one or two staff members within an organisation but it's not a uh, necessarily a co-pupper of the entire organisation so I'll work with them to develop accessibility um, policies and action plans so that accessibility can be woven through uh, the organisation and the way that they do things will default to being accessible rather than the exception. Like Robin, Stace wants to see better government policies and legislation. Stace references the Americans with Disabilities Act, a civil rights law which prohibits discrimination against disabled people in all venues open to the general public. The law allows the disabled community to take legal action if their access rights are breached. Stace says that too often art is considered a nice-to-have rather than essential. The New Zealand Access Management Campaign is the outcome of years of work advocating for the implementation of accessible legislation. That wraps up today's episode. Tune back in next week for another episode of The Art of Creative Wellness on Art After Tragedy.